so looks like we're going to get started. Thank you for joining us today, or this evening, I guess. Yes. Starting <laughs> 6 o'clock. It's getting late quicker. Hope everyone is having a good week so far, and everyone is doing well um, during this time. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, basically, this webinar is addressing um, deals on the MLS and how to turn them to your advantage. Um, so we want to share some of the strategies that we've used um, along our career path in real estate investing, um, what's worked for us, what we've discovered, um, you know, as far as structuring our, our offers when we're making an offer on a deal that's on the MLS. So we're just going to um, kind of give you some insight on how we structure uh, things in our business. And hopefully you learn something. <laughs> All right. Um, quick disclaimer. We're not attorneys. We're not tax preparers. Uh, so if you have questions legally or financially, please consult the proper people. Consult a uh, attorney or a CPA or real, uh, financial advisor, whatever, whatever you have on your team. Uh, so Again, for those of you who don't know, Real Estate IQ is who's sponsoring this webinar. Uh, they're number one in deal finding. They do about 45,000 leads a month, and we've been using them since the beginning. So we, we can vouch that you know they're, they're a great source of leads for investors getting started, as well as seasoned investors. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, as we go through the presentation. And speakers tonight, I'm Azra Moore. Everyone just calls me AZ. Uh, quick background, I was, spent some time in the Air Force, joined at 17, saw the world a little bit, um, and worked for a defense company after I got out. About six years ago now, uh, we, we got into real estate, um, but I've only had my license as a realtor for about four years. So I'm actually working on my broker's license now so I can do a few more things and actually help out investors in a few more different ways that I'm not able to do right now as a, uh, just as a realtor. Uh, I'm one of the managing members of Orange Snoozer LLC. That is our flipping company. We have a separate uh, rental company, buy and hold for, for those of you that are familiar with that. Um, and then my partner and wife is Jessica. Hello, I'm Jessica Moore. Um, I am originally from San Diego, California. I studied uh, interior design at San Diego State University. Um, I am the owner and principal designer of J. Marie Interiors, and I'm also a manager of Orange Doozer LLC, our fix and flip company. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, and again, our, our background is we got started, I, I feel like it was just yesterday, but we got started six, almost six years six ago. Years ago. Six years ago in August, mm -hmm. um, or six years in August. But yeah, so we moved from California, um, and we weren't even sure if we were interested in real estate at the time. Knew nothing uh, about it. Yeah, knew nothing about it. Had no background in it either. Or again, mm -hmm. as a with her degree, she still wasn't necessarily doing real estate. Wasn't doing you know residential or com uh, commercial, uh, but not in yeah. not in the way that an investor would be working. So we kind of fell into, you know, 
a couple of these kind of classes and decided that we did want to pursue it. So six years later, here we are. Again, she's now using her degree to our advantage. I decided to get my realtor's license to use it to our advantage. And so it's it's really meshed well with with our business plan, having our separate skill sets that that roll together so well. Okay, so now down to down to business. <laughs> um, how to turn an MLS deal to your advantage? What does that mean? Um, jump in the gun. Sorry. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> um, basically, um, from the start of our real estate investing career, we instead of going for off market deals like most investors do, they'll either utilize the wholesaler or um, knock on doors or do that type of thing we just automatically started uh, linking up with realtors in our area. Um, We talked to over a dozen realtors when we first got started, just interviewing and figuring out who would be the right fit for our team because we knew that we had to add um, a broker or agent that would understand our goals as investors um, because working with an investor is obviously very different than working with a traditional client. You know, sometimes when you work with an investor, you have to be flexible and willing to make a very low offer or be comfortable negotiating, um, you know, maybe a little bit more than you would normally with a traditional client. So adding the right players is key um, in the very beginning of your real estate career, but whatever, wherever you are right now, whether you've been, you know, you know, in the real estate game for a long time, or you're just getting started, um, you know, it's always a good idea to have the right players and having several agents on your side is always a good idea because as you know, sometimes they get busy and if you need to make that offer and they're not available, then you may lose that deal. Absolutely. And uh, we, we talk about this all the time, but for everybody else, it's not always easy setting up your team. Your first agent, second agent, 10th agent, may not be a, a good fit. Uh, we went through 20, 25. I probably called about 25 and we interviewed at least a dozen. Yeah, some of them um, never answered their phone, never responded to an email, didn't show up for the meeting, so on and so forth. <clears throat> yeah, and it's really important. Um, communication is, is absolutely number one when it comes to working with a realtor because it's almost like playing telephone with the other side. And if they don't truly understand um, what your needs are as an investor, um, then it's going to be really difficult for them to translate that um, and and become an integral part of your business model, whatever that may be. So having someone on your team that truly understands what your goals are is extremely important. Right. And, and they owe it to themselves and to you as a client to be honest. So again, speaking from an from a investor standpoint, not an agent standpoint, again, when we first got started, we had agents saying, oh yeah, I work with investors all the time. I don't have a problem putting in a hundred offers to get one accepted. But then after the third offer, they're like, hey guys, I think you're coming in too low and my broker has an issue with this because we don't want to be, we don't want to have that reputation as the lowball agent or the investor agent that's always just trying to lowball and get the best deal ever as an investor that's absolutely what you want is the best deal ever but agents have some agents have 
issues with that, whether it's a pride thing, whether it's truly the brokerage uh, representation. Uh, so don't get frustrated when those things happen. They'll happen. Don't get frustrated when they try and tell you what you need to offer in order to get accepted. It'll happen. I promise you, mm -hmm. because we've been there and we know. Yeah, and, and only you know where your numbers are. As, as the investor, only you know what you can offer on that property. Um, so the agent is, is there as, as, as a communication line between you and the other party. Um, so, yeah, right. so that's, that's important. And then think of them as like the equivalent of a CPA, they, they have to go to bat for you. So try and be as tran transparent with them as possible. Meaning if you know you're gonna come in and offer $100,000, but you need to get it down to 75, tell them that, excuse me, in the beginning. Don't surprise them because now when they have to re-represent that uh, price negotiation, they're gonna be dreading it because they weren't aware that was the game plan in the beginning. So that conversation they have with the other agent isn't most likely gonna go so well because they just, they weren't, they got caught off guard. So your team has to be people you can trust. And this is not just the agent, again, CPA, uh, contractor, uh, lenders, hard money or otherwise, other investors, gap funders, so on and so forth. These are the right players. But for the purpose of this webinar, we're focusing on MLS deals. So we're only gonna really talk about uh, the agents for the most part, agents and brokers, uh, because that's the key players in the MLS transaction in order to get it purchased. And then, you know, the contractors and the lenders and everybody else come into play. All right. Okay, um, so setting the tone, again, just um, going back to the communication and being transparent with whoever you're working with, whether it's an agent or a broker, um, that's going to help you um, get those deals on the MLS um, and get the, get them under contract. Um, yeah. So making sure they understand what your criteria is, is extremely important from the very beginning, even before you find a deal. Um, because a lot of times the agent, you know, has no idea what you're looking for, whether it's you're looking for rental properties or you're looking for properties to fix and flip or, um, you know, whatever your business model is, they need to be aware of all the criteria and the specifics, um, so that they can, um, you know, they can work for you and you can be successful. Right. And so again, th this goes back to communication and don't assume. I say that because we've been through there. Uh, we had an agent say, oh yeah, I work with investors all the time. I know what you guys are looking for. And everything he brought us was garbage in our opinion. <laughs> but we didn't say, hey, we're looking for everything less than $200,000 purchase price or $200,000 ARV. We didn't say, hey, we're only looking in South Dallas. We didn't say, hey, we're only looking for things less than 2,000 square feet. We didn't say, hey, we're only looking for things built prior to 2000, but no older than 1945. We didn't specify anything. So he, not to say he didn't know what he was doing, he was just going off of other investors, other clients he was probably working with that said, yeah, this is what we want. We got cash, we got millions of dollars. Let's go to Highland Park, which is the nice area out here in Dallas, if you don't know. And let's just buy some million dollar mansions and flip them like vanilla ice. Meanwhile, we're on the opposite end of the spectrum trying to buy $50,000 houses to remodel and sell for 
$100,000. But that conversation never really happened. Uh, so there was a huge disconnect. And within a couple uh, prospective offers, we lost touch with them. And Yeah, and, and if that's the case and you don't communicate um, all of that information in the beginning, there's a lot of time wasted and it gets very frustrating. Although it is a growing pain if you're getting started and you're not really sure what you're looking for because that's the case. Right. And that was the case for us. We didn't really know what we were looking for. We didn't know what areas we wanted to focus in on. And so, um, and, and you'll learn that as you go, but um, it, it is beneficial to find a specific area, right. um, a specific type of property, because um, then you can really just focus on that instead of do what we did in the very beginning and we were just all over the place. Right. <laughs> and to a point, it, that's fine when you're getting started. Uh, there's people that think they know their niche and that's what they go for. And then there's people that just fall into the niche naturally and let, let the, the course of the, the company kind of guided in the path. And that's, that's more what we did. So yeah, we've done Farmers Branch, we've done Arlington, we've done Kaufman County, Collin County, Dallas County, Tarrant County. Um, but we've now slowly kind of focused and figured out, hey, we really like this zip code in Dallas and we really like this county. Um, but before we were just like, hey, wherever the deal's at, we're hungry, we're investors, we're hungry, we just want the deal. So back to being open and honest with your brokers, you got to understand that, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth is like huge, right? So there may be some overlap. Your, your agents need to know that. You want to say, hey, what area of expertise is like your bread and butter? Uh, I'll tell you now, nine out of 10 agents are going to say, I can do anything. Dallas-Fort Worth in general. And I, I get that. But in reality, they might know 75241 better than they know, say, High park cities. They might know Arlington because that's where they're based out of and that's where they live better than Farmer's Branch. So it's okay to overlap your agents, but you don't want three agents that's bread and butter as Farmer's Branch because then they're all going to be sending you the same deals. And when you say, oh, my other agent already sent me that, they're going to start getting frustrated and they're going to leave because they feel like they're not getting any, any benefit. It's, this is a, it's a fair trade transaction. They get commission you get your next investment property. So again, being as open as possible and letting them know that you're even working with other agents, uh, you'd be surprised that how many agents will say, no, you can't do that, but you can. Just like they work with other sellers and buyers, you're allowed to work with other agents, but some may try and strong arm you to try and you know secure your business, which is, you know that's just the nature of the beast. They work off commission. They're trying to secure potential income for them uh, but the reality is they should understand you're an investor you're offering multiple offers they may have a pocket listing realtor two may have a pocket listing realtor three may have a pocket listing that will never overlap because they're not all going to have the same pocket listing so it's, mm -hmm. it's okay and again that was something we weren't really sure starting off because this was before i was an agent uh we we learned from you know a big seminar as well but they didn't explain they explained like, yeah, you got multiple agents, but they didn't really explain the, the concept and theory behind it and the morals and ethics, if you will. So keep in mind that stuff is in fact, okay. But again, don't blindside them and let them know when they find, finally find that offer that, you know, Jimmy, the other realtor, you're already working with another realtor that got it. And they had no idea that there was multiple agents uh, on your team. Yeah. So again, going back to just being transparent, open, honest, 
always. Um, and that'll keep you out of uh, difficult or uncomfortable situations. Right. Well, it may not keep you out of them, but at least, you know. Well, they prevent some. Right. At least you're not, you've never, you're not blindsiding anybody. All right. Okay. Um, an offer they can't refuse. So this just basically is, um, you know, when you, you're working with a real, a realtor or a broker, um, and you finally find that deal, they've sent you 20, 30 deals and you found one that you're like, all right, I want to make an offer on this deal. And I know the number that works for us. It's this, I know my rehab is this, um, let's go ahead and submit that offer. Um, you know, a lot of times a realtor or a broker will have some inside information that would be beneficial to you um, when you're coming up with that offer. Um, whether it's something about the seller, the circumstances, the situation, um, the details of the listing, um, you know, things that, you know, maybe your, your agent can get some intel on. And you want to utilize them for that because they build relationships or that rapport with the other agent um, through phone conversations or whatever it is um, that may allow them to get information um, if they know how to do that, which a good agent will. Um, you know that they maybe they're more likely to share that with the other agent um, and whatever information they they can get may help you structure your offer a little bit better instead of not knowing anything about the seller or anything that's going on um, and just kind of throwing a number out there. Um, so that's important when you're structuring your offer is utilizing your agent to get that information from the other side as best as possible, um, strategically, of course. Right, and so <laughs> that's something that I learned over time Again, I've, I've had my, my real estate license. I've been a realtor for almost four years now. Um, so once I became that realtor, my initial reason for doing it was just to be able to put more offers in faster um, and be able to negotiate and cut out the middleman as an agent. Um, again, keep in mind the first two years that we were going down this flipping venture, we had realtors in place. So it wasn't, it wasn't an issue. Uh, my broker at the time actually approached me and said, hey, uh, why don't want you guys, why don't one of you guys get your license just because I'm tired of driving all over the place for you guys and it'll save you some money on commission and things like that. So it wasn't, it was never really my plan to get it. But once I got it, I did start taking on uh, traditional clients and things like that, which helped me hone and understand the skills of a realtor better so you know to jessica's point there's realtors that you say hey write an offer up they write an offer up they send the email off it goes and then they just wait to see if they get a response and then there's other agents that will send the email mm -hmm. send a text hey agent smith just send an offer over for one two three main street want to make sure you got it. Is there anything you can tell me about it? Uh, normally, if there is, Agent Smith will immediately call back and say, hey, thanks for the offer, yep, I got it. And now once you have, once your realtor has them on the phone, it's their job, so it's gonna say, to strategically uh, try and 
pick apart and find things that they can use later on for a price reduction or to sweeten the deal. Because it's not always about the number monetary wise. It may be, uh, hey, how fast can you close? Uh, hey, we've been burned by three investors before. Would you be willing to bring more earnest money? Mm-hmm. Not actually uh, close at a higher number. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of doing 10 days for option inspection period, are you willing to do three? Um, but you're never going to know that if your agent's just firing off offers without actually doing any follow-up. And I learned that kind of the hard way because, again, I, I wasn't getting responses and I didn't understand why. Uh, and finally, I started picking up the phone and making phone calls. And I will tell you, realtors love to talk to other realtors. It's, it's like gossip hour. So they'll happily tell me things that they probably shouldn't tell me because then I turn around and use them for a price reduction. Um, but on the other side of the coin, once a client tells a realtor something and the realtor is aware, they have to disclose it if it comes up. So they can't, basically a client can't do foundation without a permit, tell the realtor that they didn't do it with the permit and then try and say that it was done with the permit, for example. The realtor has to disclose, hey, the, the client told me that there was no permits pulled for foundation for this addition, for the plumbing, whatever it may be. And so now you can turn around and potentially use that to your advantage uh, once you start getting to the point where you're making price reductions. Right. But the, the key, one of the key things I want to say for an offer they can't refuse, again, it's not always necessarily the highest offer. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if, again, if you know you need the house for 100000 and you're offering 150000 and you plan on asking for a $50,000 price reduction the day before closing, um, most likely the clients don't walk because they're going to be insulted and pissed off essentially that you waited to the last minute to do that. Or even if you wait to the last day of your inspection period. Um, so what we try to do is kind of meet somewhere in the middle. We know our magic number is a hundred thousand, but they're asking 150. Maybe we'll try and offer 120, 125. And if we can get there, it's a lot easier to go down another 20 grand or 10 grand than it is to try and jump down 50 grand. Uh, and so we little things like that we've learned over time that seem to be more successful than these giant price drops that, again, work for some people, but it's for us, there's kind of morals and ethics. Yeah, and the strategy, too. again, depends on the type of seller that it is. So that's why it's so important for your agent to get that intel. Um, and, you know, whether it's... A traditional seller, an um, airship, an airship, uh, a, an REO, right? So you treat your offers to a traditional seller a little bit different than you would a bank. Yeah. Um, the way you structure your offer, the way you communicate, the way you negotiate, those are very different strategies. Um, so there's, you know, if you do all your research and your your agent is up for the challenge of negotiating based on who that seller is. Um, and you can strategize how you're going to play it, <laughs> essentially. Um, that's truly important because not every offer is the same. Um, and so that's important to understand. It's important to understand who, who, your, who your offer is going to and to anticipate maybe what their next move will be because it is a game. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're putting offers in and it's important to understand and learn based on the reactions you get, um, with offers that you put in, 
um, okay, that didn't work. Let's try this or let's wait a couple weeks, revisit it. It's still available. Let's try and, you know, right. re rework our offer based on the reaction we got from our initial offer. Right. And as you start to put in more and more offers, you're going to start to understand the different types of sellers a lot better. Obviously, I assume most of you guys know REOs, they're the bank-owned properties. That's who everyone says to go after. Well, if everybody's going after those, then who's going after the traditional homeowner? Who's going after the short sale? Who's going after the HUD home? Um, you know, a traditional seller, they don't care if you can close in two weeks because they probably need to find a new house to move into. So more appealing to them might be a lease back. Uh, a short sale, they're just happy that they're able to sell the house for the right number and it doesn't show up on their credit and they avoid a foreclosure. Right. Now an REO or an airship, they're looking for the quick sale because they're like, all right, cool. How, how quick can we uh, cash in on grandma's old house, right? You know, the heirs, they, they live in a different state most likely or a different city. Uh, the house is run down. No one's lived in it for years or grandma lived in it by herself or mom or dad or whoever. And so they're just like, you know what? I, I just want to be done and over with it. You can close in two weeks. That's awesome. That's a much better offer than this other guy who's offering 5,000 more, but he needs 60 days. He's got to get approved with the bank and all this. You guys are saying cash. Cash is king. Let's get this sold. So it matters but you're not, it's, it's, everything's a learning process. Your, your realtor can help a little bit if they truly are experienced uh, with working on all the different types of sellers, but you also need to learn the types of sellers that work better for you and so on and so forth. Again, REOs, we bought two. Yeah, maybe. Two out of, you know, more than a dozen have, because they just didn't work for us. We're traditional buyers. We, we work on the, the guy who's moving out and, Hey, this house needs a little bit of work, but I'm ready to get rid of it. We don't we don't really mess too much with uh, with bank-owned properties because it, again, we just fell into our niche, and it was not bank-owned properties. Okay, so um, this was our very first deal we bought on the MLS, um, our very first flip. And um, this was in Arlington, Texas. And this is just a before and after of the front of the house. Um, so you wanna tell a little bit about how that went down? Ooh, yeah, so um, we had, we're probably about see, three months into our adventure that we started our little, you know, house flipping venture. Uh, so, excuse me, there was, uh, this house just popped up. It, it didn't really pop up on the radar in a traditional sense where it was a steal of a deal or anything like that. Um, they were actually asking two, 240 for it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 140. 140. <laughs> one, sorry. They're asking 140 for it, right? And so we came across it. We saw it had a little bit longer days on market. Uh, I don't remember the exact, this was almost six years ago now, uh, but it was, it was probably 60 days on market or so, maybe a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And so we asked our realtor at the time who um, sent this cluster of houses over in Arlington said, you know, hey, just put, throw an offer out there at 90 grand and see what happens. So, you know, $50,000 mm -hmm. difference. Uh, and then we went on about it, kept looking at the next house, the next house, the next house. And a couple of days later, our realtor tells us, 
hey, uh, they countered that deal in Arlington on Pinoak. And we, again, you want to get to the point where you're not even necessarily thinking about what that address is. Like, we literally had to go back and look it up because we were putting in so many offers. Um, and we were in shock. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, they, they countered, let's see what they're talking. And they were like 210. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, oh, wow, they came down, you know, like 30 grand. That's pretty cool. 110. 110. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. So let's, let's see if we can figure this out and let, let's counter back. So we, we counter back and forth a few times uh, through our agents and they settled at one one oh five when we initially got it under contract. Uh, so we got them down a, a little bit. Um, after we did a walkthrough, did uh, an inspection with our contractors and things like that, we noticed uh, some some weird things like the pipe for the upstairs bathroom was visibly running across the ceiling in the garage and not in not the inside a wall yeah yeah so we brought that up contractor said yeah that's definitely you're not going to be able to resell a house it's not going to be able to go fha things like that not so to code. yeah it's not to code so we you know hey agent can you tell them that you know that was the major thing and a few other things so we said you know we need to come back down to ninety five thousand dollars and they said well we've been living here for x amount of years and we've never had a problem I said, yeah, but imagine you're sitting in the garage and you're getting in your car and your son flushes the toilet upstairs and that pipe breaks and everything in that pipe falls on you, falls on your car. You should mention that. <laughs> and so, you know, we were like, we, we, we have to fix it. We're not saying that it's bad and that it's not livable like it is, but it's not to code and we have to get it to code once we purchase it. So we need money off for that because it was not in the seller's disclosure. There was nothing noting that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, we finally ended up settling, I believe at 97,000 mm -hmm. for a house that was 240 on the market, or I'm sorry, 140 on the market. Trying to, up the price. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make it look even better. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, $40,000 uh, discount, essentially, yeah. on our very first deal. And again, this, this wasn't with me, Azro, the realtor, master negotiator. This was with uh, our agent we had at the time who did a great job, you know, playing the telephone game and relaying the information mm -hmm. um, properly. So it wasn't like it was pulling teeth to get him to do his job. Uh, the other agent did a very good job responding. So it was a very, very smooth transaction on the front end for our first project. Right. Um, so again, the, the top picture is the before. Um, we didn't really do much to the outside, uh, but clean it up, obviously. Uh, and then the picture at the bottom is the after, which you can see, you know, we got rid of all the shrubs that were hiding the window. And uh, could, we re could we paint the exterior on that one? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, I can't tell because all the shrubs and stuff were in there. Oh, yeah, because I remember them having to climb up on top to paint <laughs> upstairs. Yeah. Uh, we and then uh, redid the entire... Right. The interior, the kitchen was... Yeah. completely redone so that was about a forty thousand. the funny model. part is as Azra mentioned you know the the pipe that wasn't to code in the garage and the scenario where you flush the toilet the pipe bursts in the garage <laughs> and it's a big mess um about two days before our open house before the open house um so and it, yeah the plumber 
Yeah, he was just finishing up. Yeah, the contract was just finishing up, basically punch out. So, you know, fixing any paint that was off and just doing general cleanup. Well, he used that restroom one last time, and the pipe that runs from the house the to main, the, yeah, main the main line. line, the main sewer line burst. Uh, he said, no problem. I can fix it. Uh, we got to dig it up. The city's got to come look at it. We got to put a new line in. They got to come look at it again, and then we can fill it in. He's like, easily get it done in 48 hours. Well, <laughs> once you know, they have the open house. There's a giant hole in the front yard uh, because the inspector wasn't able to get out there Friday to inspect it, so he could not bury it back. So, you know, with all the other crazy things that happen and negotiating, we, we, we still have crazy things that happen, but it's just funny. That was our main reason how we negotiated the price down, you know, another seven right. grand or so. And then that's exactly what we went in the back end. <laughs> right. So you never know. Um, so that was that was a five thousand uh, dollar uh oh and learning experience, obviously, because you learn on every property and no flip is ever the same. Right. So um next time we're like, okay, next time we know we gotta obviously do a static test, yeah. make sure those pipes, especially after doing foundation work. Right. Um, you know, make sure those pipes are clear and there's no leaks because if not, then you'll have a surprise maybe yeah. before you sell it or maybe after, which could be <laughs> a whole other issue. So. Right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, again, at the end of the day, we still made profit and we made pretty good profit, all things considered. Uh, so even though things happen, typically you're going to factor those in or you should factor in a little bit of fluff in your budget. Uh, just in case things like that happen. And they happen. doesn't matter how experienced you are, you can't predict certain things. You can't know if you open up a wall, there's newspaper in there instead of insulation. Like the, there's certain things you, you can't do or check until you already own the house. Uh, and then once you, again, the more you tear out walls and you know everyone loves open concept these days. So the more walls you open, the more likely you are to find something you didn't want to find like uh, knob and tube wiring, uh, mold, this goes on. I mean, we've <laughs> we've found quite a few things that we wish we hadn't over the years. But again, we, we factor in some kind of unknown budget, like we have our unknown honeypot. But then again, you know, you, you come across these things, that's how you learn, and that's how you grow. Um, and you know what to do next time you come across something like that, and you know what to expect and yeah. prepare for. So it's always a win, even if you don't think it is. At, at that. <laughs> right. Um, let's see what else we got. All right. Key factors that can work to your advantage. Uh, so this is this is something that you can still work on as a very inexperienced uh, investor or a very seasoned investor. So stale listings. There's no magic number of days on market where you consider it a stale listing. Um, but typically people will tell you, you know, 60 to 90 days. So what you want to do is around day 57, 58, have your realtor pull things that have days on market, 55 days or, or higher. So, you know, they're approaching that 60 day mark. Sellers typically get more motivated 
regardless on what type, whether it's bank-owned REO, whether it's a traditional seller, whether it's uh, a HUD home, whether it's an heir, whatever, when they realize they're not able to get the money they're asking, eventually they go into panic mode and, or come down to, you know, real life and realize that my house isn't worth as much as I'm trying to get my agent to list it for. Uh, so don't think just because the number on the MLS is a hundred thousand that they're not going to accept less than a hundred thousand. And as the days on market tend to go longer, they're probably more willing to like, uh, accept less of an offer. Not always. There's still stubborn agents, stubborn banks, stubborn sellers in general out there. Uh, but stale listings is a great way. I mean, if there's something a hundred days plus on market, just throw an offer out there, throw a lowball offer. Our thought is always, if they don't like it, they'll tell us they don't like it. Or if we're kind of close, they'll mm -hmm. counter. And even if the counter is 30 grand more than what we offered, it's a start of negotiations. You know, no, it's just the beginning of getting to yes. Mm -hmm. So don't, again, don't get discouraged uh, when your realtor sends the email or forwards an email from the other side that says, nope, or not in the ballpark. Or That's all, my favorite one. Not in the ballpark. And I mean, that, that, that one's sad forever. Uh, and we actually went back and renegotiated. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so don't get discouraged by the first no or the second no or the fifth no. Um, we also have what we like to call motivated sellers in disguise. And Jessica touched on that a little bit, where sometimes if the agent had done a better job of communicating with the other side, you would have known how motivated the seller really is or how desperate they are to sell. Um, it's, so you can't always tell just from the shape of the home. Uh, it can be a, a prestige home that was well-kept and just needs cosmetic updates. Uh, but they need to sell because who knows? They need an operation. They need medication. They're relocating. They're relocating. They got a job right. across the country. Whatever the case. There's there's so many different scenarios. But again, that unfortunately, the downside of working with NLS offers is you cannot talk to the other side. You have to go through your agent, and this is why we keep harping that your agent needs to be. Um, I don't want to say trained. Needs to be groomed. Um, <laughs> Properly. So again, if they don't know to ask these questions, ask them, say, hey, hey, do you ask them, you know, what's what's the story on the seller? That's all they got to do. And again, I, I tell you, most times the other side, the buyer's agent will open up and tell you everything they absolutely know about the house because they're trying to convince you to put an offer in. So, um, yeah, and then, um, you know, obviously an overpriced listing with a laundry list of repairs. Um, a lot of times a seller, you know, obviously they're proud of their home, especially if they've owned it for a long time. They may even be the original owner, whatever the case may be, they believe their home is the best home. Um, not really thinking that, you know, their DIY deck in the back <laughs> that's falling apart or the pool, right? The pool <laughs> two inches Ugh. outside of the back door that you fall to your death. You know, like things that they they think are fine and, and great or maybe even have added value to the home, but, you know, maybe they're just oblivious to that fact or their agent hasn't done their job of informing them that, hey, because you did this yourself or it's unpermitted or it's not functional or, you know, maybe it was for you, but it's probably not for most people or most buyers, um, you know, 
those are the types that maybe you just need to let a little bit of time go by and then they're maybe going to come to the realization that because they haven't received any offers in the past 30, 60 days that there is an issue with the price. Um, so looking for those types of things um, to use that as a negotiating tool. Um, and then you have the opposite, which is, you know, it keeps going in and out of contract and those almost tie into each other. There's times where we said, hey, why does it keep going in and out of contract? Oh, when they do the inspection, a lot of things pop up and the buyer's aware of that and it's in the seller's disclosure. So we're not hiding anything, but everyone's going to sign off on the seller's disclosure just to get it ex a contract executed. But now as a traditional buyer, when you go in there and try and buy this property and you're like, okay, so it really does need a new roof. Oh, and it needs decking under the roof. Oh, and some of the rafters are cracked. Oh, and the AC's 15, 20 years old. Oh, and the foundation, it had work done and it's got a lifetime transferable warranty, but it was done 10 years ago. And there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done. And the company may or may not still be in business. Um, once we do the foundation, we now have to replace the floors because they don't make that flooring anymore. The list goes on and on and on. And even investors often get overwhelmed because they're looking for just the cookie cutter, dream cosmetic flip that you just walk in it's just outdated and you just put some paint some new floors some finishes and you made 20 grand we've never done one of those <laughs> nope but but again that's not our niche because we know that putting in a little extra effort and a little extra work is going to get us properties that are that have less interest to other investors that are less desirable to right. some investors because they have so many issues. Right. Some 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 investors are not looking for the ninety thousand dollar rehab. We have one right now that it was twenty thousand dollars just for the foundation. Uh, the roof had six or seven layers on it additionally, so the roof was you know way more than any other roof we've done for a house that size. Uh, but again, we got it for the right price. We know what it's worth. We know the proper exit strategy, so it didn't scare us. And there's there's nothing wrong if you only want cosmetic flips. It's great if you can get them, but keep in mind, that's what everybody else wants too, because it's easy. So the, the more difficult the, the project, the rehab, the more investors that are gonna weed themselves out. And the same is uh, true to be said about price point. Uh, if you think you wanna stay below 150 ARV, maybe try moving up to 200 below ARV, that extra $50,000 is gonna weed out a lot of landlords and stuff like that. They're like, oh, this house is only 100,000. I can buy it, put some lipstick on it, put a tenant in it, and I'm good. So I can pay more than an investor who's looking to fix and flip it. You'll, you'll never beat a landlord buyer. You just, you can't because they have less cost mm -hmm. for the repair. And they most like a lot of them are cash buyers. So if you have hard money behind you or a bank loan or any type of loan that has an interest rate and um, someone who has to approve what you think the ARV is, you're going to get beat out by the guy who's like cash, take it, you know? So yeah. these, those things work to an advantage. Now you're looking to do buy and holds. Keep that in mind. Uh, the lower price points, you can probably outbid a flipper because they're going to do more work to the house than you are as a rental. And I'm not saying be a slumlord, please get it to code. If you know the floor is falling apart, don't just put some duct tape on it. Please fix it properly, but you don't need to put 
fancy shaker cabinets in a rental. You don't need to put granite in a rental. We put them in ours because we have a standard, but it's not a necessity. If the roof looks like it's kind of getting on its last leg, guess what? Until it actually starts to leak, if you're renting it out, you may not care as much. Whereas on a flip, nobody's gonna buy it on the back end if it needs a new roof. You have to do certain things. AC, for example, we rarely fix our ACs on rental properties. We let them just die because we know it's ours. We know it's gonna need one sooner or later, but it's functioning as designed right now. So we typically, if it's functioning, we don't replace it till it dies. Could be a week, could be a year. Um, we've had it happen both ways. Uh, one died on Christmas and the tenant was scared to call us. Uh, literally two weeks ago, we just had a tenant move in and it died a week after she moved in. It happens, but we knew, we, we knew that and yeah. we factored that in and so it wasn't a surprise. Um, so yeah. Keep in mind, again, what type of investor you want to be, because then these different things play key roles more so than others. Uh, and then persistence. Yeah, so persistence is very important. Um, never give up. <laughs> you know, when, when you're putting offers in, they get rejected, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, to stay on top of, stay on top of your agent, stay on top of your offers, stay on top of properties that you're kind of eyeballing that, um, you know, just, yeah, persistence, I mean, will always pay off. Yeah, and I mean, perfect example of that, you know, do you have 1085 in there? No, in the slides? Yeah, okay. so you can go to the next yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> perfect example of uh, persistence we'll get to later. So, um, seller in disguise. So we just wanted to give you another example of this one. Uh, this is actually, it may have been right after we purchased it. Um, little things that we wouldn't have known to look for uh, would have helped give it away a little bit. Like if you look at the flower bed, it's overgrown, which means the owner wasn't paying anybody to take care of it, uh, nor were they able to take care of it themselves because they were either too busy, poor health, whatever the case may be. And again we we at this state uh in our in our real estate career and our investing career we we didn't really look for things like that like we do now but that's a dead giveaway when they just let things get overgrown mm -hmm. um so this one in particular uh not only is it the motivated sell in disguise but it also plays on to the persistence thing uh right before we got on this webinar we actually went through our old emails with our old agent and looked this up to see exactly how it played out so uh they were originally asking 240 for this one see that's what i got it mixed up so yeah, they're asking 240 for this one um and our agent said hey you know what i think these guys are willing to move just throw an offer out there i've got another investor who's talking about he's gonna lowball them so you guys might as well throw out a lowball offer too so we we came in at like 195 and the agent responded, 225, uh, and it's yours. And we said, you know what, I don't, I don't think we can make it work. Uh, we negotiated back and forth for a couple of days. And finally, uh, we said, you know what, we'll take it for 225, and let's see if we can get the budget down enough where we can make this work. So we got our contractors in there. Uh, we, got, we got three contractors in there. Um, 
and then we had our hard money lender walk it, give their opinion of the ARV when it was done and completed. Mm-hmm. And once we got all that information together, our budget was a little higher than we expected. And our hard money lender said, hey, we're only going to loan this, oh, excuse me, which I think was 340 um, We thought the ARV was closer to 380 uh, So, and just a, a quick sidebar on that. Just because your hard money lender says it's only worth 340 in this case, doesn't mean you can't sell it for more. That's the number they are comfortable lending on. So if you sold it for 450, that just means you make more profit. The downside of that is if their ARV is lower than you expect, that means it's going to create a larger gap of money that you have to bring to the table to close. Um, for those again who aren't familiar, hard money typically loans between 60 and 80 percent loan to value. So if they're if an example of a hundred thousand dollar home. If they're loaning 65%, they're bringing 65,000 to the table. But if you need 80 to buy and rehab, you're going to have to bring the difference of that $15,000. If they're bringing 80 to the table, you have to bring the difference of $5,000 or whatever it may be. Uh, So in this case, once we got all the numbers back, we had to renegotiate. We said, hey, uh, there's a lot of things we didn't account for. This one in particular, they were calling it a three bedroom, but it was actually only a two bedroom because one room did not have a closet uh, or an egress. Or, yeah, no window. No window, no door to the outside, no exit for in case of fire. Uh, So we said, hey, we didn't count on having to fix that. Uh, So we said, you know, we got to come back down to 190, uh, 195. So they said, nope, won't work. We agreed to disagree. We backed out. They released our earnest money. um, And we just kept thinking about this property because we knew it was a good deal. Uh, for those of you familiar in with, a good area. yeah, for those of you familiar with Dallas Fort Worth area, this was in Lake Highlands, right off the Northwest Highway and Easton. It was actually on Easton Road, um, which now has a Starbucks on the corner. So if you remember where that is, it's literally down the street, uh, right by Brian Adams High School, which is a highly acclaimed high school for Lake Highlands, which makes Lake Highlands worth so much, uh, or so so desirable. Um, so after you know, going back and forth between ourselves and back and forth with our agent, uh, we sent probably three more offers in in a month. And they just kept coming back, nope, 225, final answer, 225, final answer, 225, final answer. So finally, um, we got them to come down to 210. So this is what I wanted to show you. The, the contract on the left was our original offer where we got it executed the very first time before we got our 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 team in the contract on the right uh is what we closed with the difference was about five weeks and in that five weeks again we sent out three more offers in between that they shot down they just kept saying 225 225 225 uh so finally even though we made an offer at 190 they said you know what I, we, we said, hey, agent, just shoot them over text. Don't even do a formal offer. Shoot them over a text and see if they will do 210 with no option, no inspection period. So we're going to put our EMD up, and if we back out, they get it. And even our agent was skeptical, said, man, you know, they're, you guys are 15000 apart. 
So, but if that's what you want, I'll send, I'll shoot him over a text. And again, that's the type of agent you want. He voices opinion. We can respect that. But he still said, hey, here's what my guys want to do. Instantly, they said, okay, you got yourselves a deal. You don't even need to write up a new contract since you just sent us one. Just line out the 190 and put 210 and you got yourselves a deal. So we literally, uh, in the course of five weeks of persistence, mm -hmm. uh, got it under contract. Once we got it under contract the second time is when we found out all kinds of things about the seller that we probably could have used to get it to this number sooner. Uh, he was going through a lot of medical issues and we weren't aware of that uh, to the point where he couldn't close. Um, he was quarantined. He was quarantined in a bubble. Uh, his immune system, he had, you know, crazy medical issues that we just weren't aware of. Not, not that you want to prey on that kind of stuff, no. but he was trying to get this house sold before all that happened. And the stress of going back and forth caused his condition to, to flare up. And basically he was hospitalized and title had to bond their side because he couldn't wire the money because he was in the hospital. Uh, so crazy craziness where we could have closed five weeks earlier, potentially, had we known that kind of stuff and said, hey, we know your seller's got some issues. They're just trying to get rid of this thing. We're a little bit off. Let's get this done so they can move on and de-stress. Uh, and so things like that, where again, it's not necessarily always a money thing. If we hadn't known about the that kind of stuff, thing. yeah, the, the time and the, the reason why he was really selling, we might've been able to get this done a little bit faster, uh, but we were still happy to get it done. And we weren't upset by any means, but like, it's almost like, man, did we put this guy in the hospital? Like was us <laughs> negotiating every week, part of his stress and we, something we don't know or we'll never know, but uh, so things like that is so crucial for your realtor to be able to pick the brain of the other side. Okay, and then the follow through. Um, and just like the last deal that we showed you that we went through to this, you know, two contracts to get it closed. Um, you may not always get an offer accepted the first time. Uh, nine times is our record. Um, a property that was in our neighborhood that actually sat vacant for several years and it was the eyesore of the neighborhood and we for years tried to figure out who the owner was we sent mailers yeah. letters Past neighbors um, tried to get as much and of course every neighbor had a different story right um so finally uh we we go by the house and all of a sudden there's a first sale sign in the yard. Yeah. And so we weren't able to locate the owner um, before it actually went on the MLS, but um, because I guess we like to, <laughs> we like to find deals on the MLS and right. negotiate them. Um, we were like, okay, great. Now we, we at least have a starting point. We yeah. know who to talk to. We know how to approach the deal because we know who we're dealing with now, the, what brokerage we're dealing with. And we know kind of a little bit of backstory in the property. So now we're going to figure out what our strategy is going to be. Right. And so at this point, I mean, it was the day that sign went up, I saw the agent and I was already a, a realtor myself. So I immediately drove to their office and said, hey, we want to put an offer in right now. What are you guys asking? Because it wasn't even on the MLS at that point. Uh, they just had a sign in the yard. That's right. And they said, oh, we're waiting for the bank. And we're like, I thought. A person on this. Uh, it's a long story. It got caught up in court, but now it's an REO. And so we're waiting for the uh, basically an inspection, a BPO for the bank to decide an, an, uh, 
Yeah, so they didn't even know what right. they were going to list it for. They were waiting on the appraisal initially. back. Yeah. So, you know, the appraisal came back and it was it was way, way higher than it should have been. You know, there was wires cut in the attic. They had a pool that didn't function. Again, this, this place had been abandoned for at least five years that we know of. Uh, and some of the neighbors said it was even longer than that. Had squatters, had a stripper pole in one of the rooms that was ripped out. <laughs> uh, one of the ACs was stolen and then replaced with a bad AC. Uh, the list went on. But yeah, eight months and nine offers later, um, we ended up purchasing it for $80,000 less than what they were originally asking. Um, you know, they did lower the price a few times and by the time it went in and out of contract. So it wasn't just that we offered nine. That means with an REO, it went in and out of contract nine times. Um, so each time it fell back out, we immediately put an offer in, right. repeat. And then finally, we ended up being, you know, $20,000 off from what they were currently asking and we negotiated and worked our way and agreed upon a number. Uh, so again, just because one one no does not mean it's the end of the world and you'll never get that house. And just because it goes on a contract does not mean it will Yeah, and, and we learned that like in the beginning when something we make an offer on something, we see it went under contract, we're like, well, that's done. You know, we moving on. Yeah. But um, we quickly learned that, you know, that's not the way to go about it because you just don't know, especially with a distressed property that most likely you're competing against other investors. Um, they don't always, those offers, those contracts don't always stick. So um, I, I wouldn't, I don't know what the percentage would be, but yeah. um, the likelihood of it falling out of contract is pretty good or, you know, better with a distressed property that you right. know other investors are putting offers in. They may have put a high offer in just to get it accepted. Yeah. and you know, outdo everybody else. But then once they had another contract, they had a laundry list of things that they were saying they needed yeah. a reduction in price for. So then they have this $50,000 And then price the seller reduction. gets frustrated and then they go back to, okay, square one, yep. who's next? Like we've only had on the market two days, why will we take a $50,000 price reduction? Mm -hmm. And a quick side note, cause I'm pretty sure it's not in this. Um, as an investor, a lot of you guys are gonna be taught to just fire off offers. And I absolutely agree with that. But if you really like get that gut feeling that it's a deal, go walk it. Or at least if it's on a combo, mm -hmm. have your realtor set up a showing because that will matter sometimes. It's come down to, I was the first person in a house as soon as it went on market, uh, a wholesaler went in right behind me. They couldn't make a decision because they had to talk to their boss and so on and so forth. So they called me second and I said, yeah, we can do it for those numbers. We can close in two weeks, no questions asked. He said, okay, well, I like you guys better. I'm gonna talk to my seller and recommend that he go with you guys, even though you're slightly lower offer because this other guy doesn't, he can't tell me that he can close or not. Uh, and additionally, uh, it's been the same thing where because I walked it and all the other offers were blind, and they said, well, it looks like you guys walked it. And they even tried to quiz. Yeah, so what did you think? Yeah, I had a question about the bathroom. It looked like it was tiled. You know, that's the old red tile. So they knew I had seen it because I was asking questions about things that were not in the pictures. So they knew I, I saw it. So they said, okay, it looks like you've already seen it. We don't, we hate blind offers. And uh, a lot of times the realtors will see that in the comments, but you won't see it on, on the write-up uh, that they will not accept blind offers. So again, I'm, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Just fire off the deal. Worry about seeing it later. 
a lot of times we'll fire off the deal or have our realtor fire off the deal and we'll set uh, a showing for um, five hours later when we can get to it or the following morning. So that way, even if they call me as a realtor or your realtor, they can say, yeah, they couldn't get out there, but they really like it. Um, they're going first thing in the morning. So if you don't mind, please wait until you know noon to make a decision. That way our guys can get in here and look at it and you know they can talk you up. If you don't ever make that showing, sometimes you just get disregarded uh, without, without even a phone call or anything. And that's, call it fair or unfair, that's just how it works. And that's what I've seen now that I've been on both sides of, of the transaction. Yeah, so it's, it's important to keep track of those offers. Don't discard them once you know it goes under contract or you think it's a done deal. Um, and like I say at the bottom here, the deal isn't dead until it's dead until it is in fact closed and done and um, no longer, you know, available. Right. So staying on top of that will pay off. Oh, so yeah. And this is the one we, you know, over the course of eight months, several price reductions ended up purchasing $80,000 less than what they were initially asking, um, only because we stayed on top of it, we were persistent, even when it went under contract, fell back out, we were right back on top of it and submitted another offer mm -hmm. um, until we finally got it. So that's where persistence truly pays off and it is super important um, just to follow up, stay on top of it. Um, and that again goes down to having the right players on your team, the right agents working for you. Right, and believe it or not, this is the before picture. Actually, I had to do a double take. And what tells me that is number one, again, the the flower beds are overgrown, so nobody was managing them for, for years. They had people coming out and mowing the lawn and just weed whacking the flower bed, but you know, there was no mulch, it was full of anthills. And if you look at the roof, you can see a lot of discoloration. Uh, we, we, watched, we actually watched them patch the roof about a year before we bought it. And uh, they were in there, they had the door open, I walked in and I saw the roof leaking onto the floor. So I, I knew a lot of things about that home that other investors didn't have an opportunity because we lived in the neighborhood. So when all these people said, oh man, it looks good. You probably don't have to do a lot to it. Uh, nope, needed a new roof. Uh, you know, flower bed isn't major. That's, that's relatively cheap, but the pool was uh, actually full of mud and muck for the longest time because they couldn't turn the power on to pump it or anything because the wires were cut. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily when it fell out of contract right before we purchased it, they called the pool company out there to drain it. And so we were able to see the bottom and see that it actually was in fact uh, repairable. Uh, so it allowed us to come up a little bit higher on our offer as well. Uh, so again, a lot of things that, a lot of things that you don't typically look for. And again, it looks like a beautiful home, looks well kept, but you'll see it's, it's got, it's patched city on, on the roof. And there was other things as well. And so here's a before and after of the kitchen. It was, had this lovely teapot wallpaper throughout. Um, and of course the older tile floor, the carpet was already ripped out before we even bought it. Um, so, and then that's the after there when we had it listed on the market. Right. So mostly cosmetic on this one, um, cause it was a fairly newer home, yeah. uh, late nineties build. Yep. Um, so mostly cosmetic, didn't have to worry too much about foundation issues, plumbing, right. electrical, that was all fairly up to date. Yeah, even the um, cabinets or the original right. just repainted, um, so. Yep, yeah, so mostly cosmetic, um, just, yeah, painted 
painted the cabinets, put in a new backsplash, got rid of that wallpaper, yeah. and it looks like a completely different house, even though we did not touch the layout whatsoever. Right. Still a very high um, remodel, though, for just cosmetic, in our opinion, but keep in mind, it was also a large home. It was 3,000 square feet plus the pool. Uh, and, or, I'm sorry, plus the pool house. So there was mm -hmm. a, a auxiliary building in there as well. Uh, so the flooring alone was something crazy, ten, twelve thousand dollars Right, just because of the size right. of the house. But what is what needed to be in those floors to get it to the price point on the back and to, to hit that ARV? Right. So, again, it was all factored in. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh. And then uh, here's our contact details. Um, you guys can feel free to reach out to us if you have questions about anything outside of this. Obviously, you know, we're going to do a question and an answer session here, but if something pops up, you guys have a question. The easiest way, honestly, is to shoot us an email only because um, that info goes to both of us. You know, we're, we're constantly off doing consultations, meetings, walking properties. Uh, so if you call us, we may not answer if we're in the middle of a meeting, but an email, first one of us to see it's going to respond. Um, and again, uh, to recap, this is brought to you by Real Estate IQ. Uh, they're a great source for anybody that doesn't know a lot about the company. I, I'd advise you to reach out and uh, talk to them, find out what they're about. Um, again, those deals, um, some of those deals that we talked about today were found through that, uh, through, through their software. And honestly, I mean, probably 70% of the deals we've done overall in the last six years have at least popped up through their software. We may have seen it day one on the market as a realtor. It may have popped up as a trap I said as a realtor. Uh, we might've got a lead or a phone call to tell us that, hey, there's something coming up, but guaranteed it still came through this. So whether this was the first thing that popped up on our radar to, for that lead or not, uh, they're providing quality leads in our opinion, in, in the last six years of, of working with them. Uh, we're going to do a quick testimonial video here. Hey, guys. We're here at the Quest Trillion Dollar Mixer, right? And I'm talking to Omero Corona. He's just made more than $100,000 with Real Estate IQ. Could you tell us about your story? Yeah. How's everybody doing? Omero Corona here at the uh, Quest Trust uh, Trillion Dollar Mixer. Really excited to share uh, my testimony and my story with uh, Real Estate IQ. So over the last, uh, you know, about six, seven months, I've been using uh, their platform and getting some of their uh, lists. And I was able to uh, finish my first flip recently where I was able to net about 85000 and in total, I think I've uh, been able to make about $100,000 with Real Estate IQ and their tools. So really excited to share this uh, great um, you know, company with you guys and definitely uh, give it a shot. I think you guys uh, will take advantage of all the tools and uh, it'll be profitable for you and your company. Thank you, guys. Thank you. potential deal and we analyze it and we blog about it. So we uh, want to share with you what a good deal looks like and what, you, what kind of factors you should be considering when you're analyzing uh, real estate investment deals, a really, really good educational uh, piece for those of you who are trying to learn uh, and get started uh, because you, you know, the most important thing is you need to find good deals. And in order to do that, you need to know what a good deal looks like. Uh, so uh, make sure you sign up for this free publication. Uh, we want to bring a lot of value to you and uh, please enjoy it.
Yeah, so the, the, the person talking at the end, if you guys aren't familiar, that's Steve Liang. Uh, he's now currently the CEO. Uh, when we met him, he was uh, just a partner, I believe, with the company. Um, very, very smart guy, very intelligent. He's, he's done a lot of building uh, the back end of this company uh, before he took over as CEO. Again, very smart person. He, he normally attends as many of these events as he can, uh, live events once we get back to doing that. Uh, so if you ever get a chance to see him at any other events outside of Real Estate IQ, he's always you know out and about at the networking events. Great person to pick their brain, um, and you know he's willing to offer you know a forty-five minute one-on-one deal trainings or deal finding trainings. So that way you kind of understand again what what we talk about when we say we use the software, and uh, like the gentleman was talking about uh, in the video on how. how it truly can be, especially starting up. If you just moved here, or again, you're just getting into real estate, and you're not familiar. Uh, it's going to kind of help you do so much. Uh, again, I just reach out to them if you're interested. Um, so, I mean, here's a here's a quick what the suite analysis is. So it has a fast CMA. So instead of calling a realtor and saying, "Hey, can you give me a CMA on this property?" You literally go into the software and you say, okay, uh, I want to use this comp, this comp, this comp, because they're all updated, they're all in the same neighborhood, and it's going to instantly generate uh, what it believes the value of that uh, property to be. Uh, same thing with the repair estimator. It's going to give you a general idea based on a, a, what you put in there, again, carpet, vices, wood, uh, do you need a new roof, yes or no, so on and so forth. Again, for, for someone brand new, it's it's phenomenal. Even for us, it's a great double check because sometimes we forget things. Right. You say, oh, do we add insulation? And oddly enough, we're going through that right now where if we had a double check, we would saw that and said, oh, yeah, we, we probably need to double check uh, up there. Um, and then the, the deal analyzer, that's uh, what we, that was the original kind of what they had going on before they added some of these other tools. And that's where they're just, as soon as something comes on the market that they believe is a deal, it goes through an algorithm and it sends it out and says, hey, based on this, it's you know it's a $20,000 discount off the other properties based off of this algorithm. And again, it, it may not be, to you, not every deal may be a deal that comes through, but you'll understand a little bit more as you get going that it may be a great deal for rental because it needs $5,000 worth of rehab, but there's not enough spread to flip it. So it's a bad deal for a flip, great deal for a rental, or vice versa. Uh, you know, sometimes it may pull something out of the neighborhood, and, or it may be an anomaly where the realtor that sold the house fat-fingered the sale price and put an extra zero. So now there's a million-dollar home in a $100,000 neighborhood. So it, it'll skew that because it's just pulling the algorithm, and it, it's it's a computer. It Things like that, it just goes off the factual numbers. They can't say, oh, that's obviously an anomaly. Let's take that out. Uh, so sometimes you'll, you'll get some oddball deals, and that's usually why. It's just it's usually an operator error, a human error, somewhere along the line that uh, confuses the system. But again, we've we've done countless deals. We've, we've put so many deals under contract through these, whether we've actually moved forward and purchased or not. Uh, so again, I, I'd, I'd highly recommend looking into that. Uh, and so again, you'll get unlimited CMA to get deals of the day. So even if you're not looking, they'll find a really good deal and they'll email it out like, Hey, here's a great deal in your area. 
And then obviously you have the online classes and webinars uh, that we're doing, but there's also classes as well that Real Estate IQ teaches uh, just to keep you guys going, uh, keep you learning. Uh, you know, education is key to, it's constantly changing market. So uh, I can really appreciate, you know, what they provide as a, as a company overall. Um, and then, yeah, in addition to all that, you know, they do off-market leads. So now we're talking probate, um, uh, the landlords, uh, airships, mm -hmm. uh, divorce. It, there's so many things, again, to go through. Pre-foreclosures. So, Pre-foreclosures. Um, so, again, the MLS deal finders where we started at, but they've spread it out so much since then. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing to, to see them grow, and, again, it just makes our lives easier. Uh, so yeah, so here's a quick list of off-market leads, you know, trustee sales, probates, airships, evictions, divorces, <laughs> mechanical liens. Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything you want. Yeah. And then, yeah, some of them do have skip tracing and, you know, as you, when you talk to these guys, they'll explain certain counties do certain ones, certain counties don't because they're not quite there yet or they're just not a need for it. Um, and so again. Chit chat with these guys if you're interested. Uh, send an email out or you know get in touch with uh, one of the team. So again, quickly county data finder. It'll find empty lots. Uh, it'll let you know if they're out of state owners or absentee owners, meaning that it's basically vacant. Uh, landlords. So again, people with multiple homes typically pop up on that list, so they figure out they're a landlord. And guess what? When a landlord's ready to retire, they don't sell one house; they sell all of them. All right, and you can pick a subdivision, zip code. Uh, so it's a lot of ways to, to organize and analyze the data. Uh, again, Deal Finder, that's the main one that we love, and I believe that's it's always going to be useful no matter who you are because it's going to find the deal faster than you can find it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, knowledge and support. So again, we have real-time training. Um, whether it be webinars right now, uh, they offer classroom uh, courses as well that we've taught and that we've sat in on. Uh, they have a great uh, support team and they're typically about two hour turnaround on, on the far end. They're usually quicker than that. Um, so again, if you guys are interested, please you know send an email out to customer service, let somebody know in the chat uh, or give them a call at your leisure. Um, so again, if you guys are interested in the freebies, like let's just reach out to them. They don't just do Dallas-Fort Worth area. They do um, heat maps, which show you know act, more active hotspots than others. And they do all of, or most of Texas, uh, Georgia. There's, they're quickly expanding into other uh, counties, cities, and states. Uh, so just because you're not in DFW, don't think that it may not apply to you. All right, and then on top of it, they just kind of started this community portal um, where you can join groups, kind of like you know any other social media. Uh, we actually have our own group on here, and let me see if I can get to it. So yeah, so we just started our group uh, literally earlier today because uh, we were trying to come up with a name, but uh, Perils, Pitfalls, and Profits, and that's something we both kind of agree upon because you know everyone talks about yeah i did great i made lots of money i did great again i made more money but we want to you know expose 
the in-betweens of that, again, like the pipe busting and all the crazy things that we've had happen, contractors right. walking off with money, all the stuff that hopefully you never experience, but know it's okay. Uh, and we, That's what helps you grow and learn and, right. and helps you become more successful because through those experiences, you got to experience these things. Yeah. So. And so the way to get to that is you just go to community.realestate, or I'm sorry, you just go to realestate uh iq.co.co um and once you get there you'll have your different things so once you click on groups which is where i'm at now uh you'll see all the different groups so again right now there's 27 they're just getting this started ours is fresh off the pot so we got two members in but you'll see some of these people you know have 12 26 23 austin women so anything you're interested in apartments you name it if it, they don't have it, they will have it. Apparently, there's a lot of nerds because there's like 40 people <laughs> in that group. Uh, but again, and then same thing, you can set up your member account and you can see, you know, the members, who's all in what group, and, you know, people you may know that have common interests. You can link it with them, pick their brain, network, so on and so forth. So again, these guys are really trying to support the investor community as best as possible. Uh, so again, to join, go to realestateiq.co. Uh, again, this is our group. We now have two people, not just one, but two. Uh, so please, please feel free to join. And again, we'll, we'll, we love to talk real estate. We'll answer questions, uh, whatever you got going on. Um, again, we eat, sleep, and breathe real estate. Uh, so again, with all that said, if you guys are interested, reach out to these guys and, and get at least that, that demo uh, to understand what they're offering. Um, okay, and then Orange User, which is our flipping uh, real estate investing business, um, we also offer one-on-one -on -one training. Um, we, like Azra said, we love to talk real estate. Um, soon, hopefully, we can meet and have meetings in person and do all this, but until then, we're open to Zoom, Zoom meetings, phone calls, you name it, and, if you want to discuss. Yeah, and, and right now, we don't have any any uh any of our our students that have an active project going on but if that were the case we would obviously meet you at the project and walk uh again we're, we're still practicing social social distancing as best as we can so we would you know have masks we'd expect the same right now uh but we're not opposed to walking a property either and again we have projects going on right. if you want to come check those yeah. out so yeah um, and again uh, project management is also something else that we help other investors whether they're um we've helped out-of-state investors if they want to invest in the dallas fort worth area right. um just to be their boots on the ground and kind of help them um get through their flip process right. um, even though they can't physically be there so um that's one of the things we offer right. and, and even local local investors you know same thing some people just aren't comfortable talking to the contractors they're scared they're going to get ran over or they're just you know they're going to lose control again Jessica has a lot of experience in project management uh, my background from the military and um defense contracting is i was basically a consultant so again our our past careers have rolled over into this and you know it's, it's made a really easy transition for us as far as the management side goes to to do mm -hmm. these kind of things and then um jamer interiors which is my uh design business um offers interior design 
um, which would include for, for an investor and their fix and flips or rentals, finish selections, uh, whether, you know, from flooring, uh, paint color, lighting, you name it, anything that goes into a flip. Um, we do an overall design concept for your project and try and keep within your budget as best as possible um, so that you're not over rehabbing. Right. Um, and and then, funny you say that, keeping budget. Again, sometimes even us, we want a $60 rehab for, you know, $40 price. And from the project management and design service aspect, we're going to be, again, completely transparent. If you say, hey, this is what I want and I have 40 grand to do it, it may take 45, it may take 50. Uh, we're going to give you our honest answer and opinion. And if you decide that you can up that budget, great. If that's the budget you have to stick with, we work with that as well and try, you know, this is where she comes in and tries to find a, a, a better suited finish to, to cut down costs and things like that. Yeah, so I, I can act as a resource in that aspect, whether it's finishes or say you're remodeling the kitchen, blowing out a wall, reconfiguring that floor plan. That's another area that I can help in. Um, and then in addition to that, also staging the property um, when it's ready to put on the market. So um, when you're getting ready to finish up, about to do your final walkthrough and final clean, that's when you want to kind of address staging. Although I also recommend um, from the very beginning when you're doing your rehab budget, if you're planning on staging or you know your comps are staging in that market, um, just be prepared and incorporate that staging cost in the very beginning so that when you get to the end of the project, if you, um, you know, didn't account for that in your budget initially, that you have that covered. Because if you don't, then you may say, well, I can't afford it, even though all of your comps are staged and that's why they sold so quickly. And you unfortunately can't because you spent or blew your budget. Right. And that's one so. of the main things we harp on when we, you know, train investors under us like, hey, it's not just the rehab. It's staging if you plan on using it. Because guess what? If it's an $80,000 ARV, you're probably not staging it on the back end. Right. You know, it's, it's it, not has to, it has to make sense. It has to be, you know, and that's why I always encourage investors to look at, in their market. And if the comps are staging and the, that's what's, and, and they're flying off the market because of, you know, well, you never know for sure. But odds are the staging is helping especially now when people are shopping online, yeah. those photos, uh, professional photos and a stage is very important um, just to draw the buyers in to even schedule a showing. Um, so I highly encourage, especially with the higher price points um, where the days on market might be a little bit longer, um, a stage with professional photos is going to put you at the top um, and it's only going to help. So that's another um, service that I Offer. Right. To, to, to put it in a, a monetary perspective, uh, we stage all of our properties, again, obviously, because we can't. And I, I say all, there's been houses in South Dallas, for example, that we're just like, we're not going to stage those because we don't want the furniture to come up missing or someone breaking in and hanging out, which, believe it or not, has happened. Uh, but what we tell everybody else is, you know, anything under or anything over 250, you should absolutely stage. And again, there may be differences in the market where you're getting away with not staging, but as the market gets tighter, you're not going to be able to get away with that. So it's proper preparation and methodology to just get in the habit of doing that. Anything over 300000 I don't care where it's at, if you're not staging, again, not to say it won't go into contract day one, but 
is going on a contract day one or getting multiple offers day one better. Yeah. Right, and then also to put it in, into perspective, um, the cost of a stage versus the cost to reduce um, the price, price reductions to do a price reduction is way less costly. Right. So just to put that into perspective. Yeah, um, you're typically doing $10,000 price reduction or $5,000 price reduction. Again, as a realtor, any realtor will tell you that's usually the two numbers. Yeah, there's you can do a reduction for whatever, but that's typically when you see reductions, it's usually in a five or $10,000 increment. Putting a stage in vice doing a $5,000 price reduction and maybe mm -hmm. only doing a couple thousand dollar price reduction and a stage is, in our opinion, from what we've seen from our experience, is way, way worth, worth, uh, worth more bang for your buck than just doing the price reduction. Because we've even seen instances where after doing that uh, stage and even reducing the price, we now get multiple offers because, again, it's now presentable to where everybody wants it and they can see themselves living there. So these are the things that not a lot of people talk about that we at least try and get you guys thinking about. Again, you right. can do whatever you want, but we would like to at least say, hey, think about this and if you're going to do it, budget it from day one. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.